This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. We have a, a very special guest today. I'm really delighted to have this guest. We have Robert Clara, who's the senior editor of Brands at Adweek, and he specializes in covering the evolution and impact of brands. And that's a really interesting topic during 2020. What's been happening with brands? What's the value ab- of advertising? What are different ways to create brands? What should brands stand for? And he's an expert and has written some really provocative and interesting stories on all of these topics. So, Robert, we're delighted to have you here on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Barbara. It's a pleasure to be here. And hi, Americas. Hey, Robert. It's great to have you. Thanks for joining us on the program. Absolutely. Why don't we dive right into the topic of everybody's talking about, pharma Mm -hmm. and the vaccines. And I think that you wrote an article recently talking about like what some of these vaccines have done to the brand equity of the Mm. companies who've created them, like for Pfizer or Moderna. You want to give us a soundbite or... Yeah, or and just more to, even of the opposition. That's right. And just but just just to give some context, I was looking at the CDC website as of today, uh, Barbara, and the CDC is reporting that in terms of the country, 11.3% of the entire country is fully vaccinated right now. Uh, and only 3.4% of the folks who have had the first dose are missing the second dose. So there seems to be some momentum here. And to Barbara's point, Robert, why don't you tell us a little bit, of, open up this, this, this set of issues that are associated with this complex analysis of the, the pharma industry, really? Sure. Well, uh, because we focus or I focus on uh, branding and marketing at Adweek, uh, as I've been watching this va- vaccine story unfold, Uh, I was thinking, you know, uh, the pharmaceutical industry is historically held in some of the lowest regard by consumers as any industry. And this has been true for quite a few years. And one of the things that I was wondering is, uh, you know, is this vaccine period, if you will, an opportunity for big pharma to do some reputation repair via marketing? And, um, you know, has that started to happen? And, uh, you know, if not, why not? And so I just wanted to take a look at, um, you know, an industry that's kind of beleaguered for a number of reasons that America's you and I have talked about. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if this is possibly, you know, their big break in terms of uh, customer perceptions. Mm -hmm. Even if you think this is their big break, um, I would imagine you've been a a veteran reporter long enough that you don't imagine there's going to be a homogeneous response to the, the pharma company and creating these vaccines anyway. So I would no, imagine you no, go I in mean, with that I, hypothesis. I mean, there's, there's so rarely that, I mean, when you're talking about an industry that is this much in the crosshairs, I don't think that we're going to get any kind of homogeneous response. And, and I think a lot of it comes down to how you feel about vaccines, how you feel about science, where you get right. your news mm-hmm. and all those other hot button things. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh one thing is certain, um, pharma is usually not an industry that's top of mind for a lot of consumers, yep. unless they are going to the drugstore and they're angry about drug prices. But <laughs> on a day-to-day basis, most people don't think about this, right? Right. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this story is because everybody is thinking about this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, people, I think, have learned the names of big pharma firms that they might not have known otherwise. I know that I have. Talk to us through this analysis, Robert. What are the perceptions that have to be changed and how, how, are, how are these pharma companies stepping towards this potential rebrand opportunity or are they missing the opportunity? 
Well, there's a lot there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, first of all, I take Barbara's point, and that's in fact something that the pharmaceutical industry has been arguing for quite some time. And you know, to a certain extent, I think they're right. They do reinvest a lot of money on R and D because they have to, and they also have a relatively small window of on patent uh, protection in which to make their profits. Um, <clears throat> although, in the case of the COVID vaccine, though, I think it's important to point out that this was government money um, that was either funding the research or in the case of Pfizer, I believe it's Pfizer, um, in the form of guaranteed purchases by the government for whatever they had come up with. And so they were indemnified to a great extent on taking the risks that they normally take in the free market during non-pandemic times. So that's I just one have to interrupt point. for one second. Uh, it's it's the government and Dolly Parton. Didn't Dolly mm. Parton give it? <laughs> he did indeed. <laughs> of course. How, how could I have left her out? Yes. That's good. Yeah, that's um, true. And the, but to to get to your one of the points you raised, America, is that the the research is that it's it's. Let me back up. I'm always worried about letting my experience as a consumer cloud my writing too much because it's hard to write about brands. In, in a wholly objective way because I buy brands, right? We all do. Um, so I can't totally step outside the circle. However, there's a lot of data out there, uh, including some that I cite in the story, specifically from Morning Consult, mm -hmm. that's saying that the pharmaceutical industry's net favorability is actually on the rise. Mm. But we have to give that context because it was 22% last February. <laughs> and then as of last month, it's crept up to 26%. Now, if I got a grade like that in one of your classes, yeah. I don't think you'd be putting a star on my head. Would I would. <laughs> so, you know, that that is, and, and also America's, as you had alluded to, there are a lot of things in the news and in the culture that clouds people's perceptions about big pharma. And I don't think that people would necessarily argue that they're not benefiting people with life-saving drugs. I am alive right now because of some of them. And I, you know, I give them their due. Mm -hmm. When my mom was a little girl, she got the, the Salk polio vaccine. Mm -hmm. You could argue that if it weren't for the drug companies like Merck who made that vaccine, I wouldn't be here right now, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm grateful where it's appropriate. However, uh, I don't know if you were able to sit through Martin Shkreli's uh, testimony without your blood pressure going up, speaking of medications that we need, um, <laughs> or when you go to fill a prescription, and I have several of them, and uh, one of them is uh, $1,000, mm -hmm. um, and or when you read about the uh, opiate crisis uh -huh. or you know, the, the Sackler family and their billions and, you know, this ongoing dispute with the settlement to some 3,000 lawsuits against Purdue Pharma. Look, these things are really, really hard to get out from under. I wanna okay. ask Barbara specifically, like, did, Barbara, how would you, before Robert tells us kind of what's been doing, what would you see Barbara in your mind as a good example of these pharma companies leveraging the moment to be able to tell a, a, a positive story? What would, that, what would that messaging look like that would not seem to be exploitative or you know, taking advantage of the moment? What are your thoughts on well, that? 
you know, I mean, like I started to say, typically it's changed now because there is more competition mm. in the pharma business. So, for example, on different cancer drugs, even if you have a patent, it's still competitive mm. as to which immunotherapy you're going to use. So the world mm. has changed. But historically, and, you know, we America's you and I have taught some we're in Pill Hill here in Philadelphia and a lot of our executive ed programs are pharma um, executives yes. who come to us for marketing. Right. And typically the pharma companies aren't really that interested in spending money on marketing dollars Mm -hmm. because they are in the R&D business. Mm. They are in the product business. And if you don't like what they're doing, it doesn't matter that much to them because that's (laughs) not really their focus. Um, And so I I think like in pursuing the vaccine, the very best thing that they can do is focus on making the vaccine and distributing it. Mm -hmm. I don't actually think they would think it's that good a use of their money to try to create any kind of public goodwill or whatever. Now that may or may not be smart for the future when they're under some more competitive pressure. But right now, I don't actually think that was their focus. So interesting, Robert. Part of the reason they may not have the best brand image. So tell us, a, be, build on that, Robert, and tell us what you've seen and relate that back to what Barbara's point. This is an interesting point. It's kind of like the marketing is non-marketing in some senses. As yeah, well, well, it's product-focused. Okay, yeah, and focus it's, on product it's as weird, opposed right? to Because things. prior to pharmaceutical companies being able to uh, advertise direct to consumer, they were mainly aiming at physicians, right? And now we live in the era of ask your doctor about XYZ, <laughs> right? Which yes. drives doctors insane. 